Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Idea23. Awesome caps at great prices. Kibio, the place for split keyboards. And DIY keyboards. Get cracking. Well, this week has been a much better week for myself and family. Nobody has fallen seriously ill or uh, anything of that note. And so I guess uh, it's it's been a great feeling this week to, to be able to do this episode without any uh, particular health issues whatsoever. Now, this week for me has been an interesting uh, week in that I got to build a prototype keyboard that I sort of mentioned last week. Uh, And then I was going to build another keyboard, but I didn't get to because it was missing stabilizers. But coming up in the next couple of days, somebody else has contacted me and asked me to help them build a couple of more custom keyboards. So they're going to be dropping off two keyboards, which uh, I'll be looking forward to checking out and building because I have never seen any of them before either directly, uh, to my recollection anyway. So that should be really interesting. And I guess a very long awaited update to the Down Bubble project is that Daily Clack finally got an invoice from Novel Keys for box pink switches. So that's really exciting for me because, you know, I've been waiting for box pink switches for a very, very, very long time. So that's going to come in hopefully soon, within a couple of weeks, I believe. And then I will be able to put together the first metal prototype of the dam bubble. However, it's not that I've necessarily been you know, sitting around idle and in this project. I mean, sure, I have physically, but I've been having a lot of thoughts on how to progress this. And locally, within our community, there's been somebody who actually works in a machining shop. And they've been talking about being able to expand the types of clients that they that the business that they work for into keyboards. And they've had discussions with you know, the shop owners and the bosses and the technicians there and whatnot. And they can offer a number of different services. They can offer CNC services. They can offer, you know, metal punching services, metal bending services, and so on and so forth. And one of the original ideas that I had that I wanted for the down bubble was actually a sheet metal, bent metal case that, you know, could do a variety of things. And I feel like this could be a really good opportunity to at least prototype something for that direction because I wanted it to be able to be, you know, more affordable. And CNC is great, but it's quite expensive by comparison if a rolled metal case that could still do what I want the case to do, what the layout is there to do. And less about it being, you know, a fancy, smancy, high-end looking custom especially when you consider that the design intent and look is meant to be quite industrial, quite rugged, then a heavy-duty, thick, rolled metal case, bent metal case, could actually do that. So it gives me a lot of thoughts in regards to 
how to get that thought in line for perhaps the next iteration. And of course, if this layout works really well from the PCB standing point, I will also start to talk to people and look at how to redesign the PCB for perhaps the next iteration so it's onboard components, which will help be able to achieve, you know, having more versatility in the case options because it's not going to be necessarily as high and as hefty as thick. Now, of course, people have said, you know, they, they really do like having heavy keyboards, but there's alternative ways to make something heavy and it doesn't necessarily have to be 35 millimeters tall. And well, you can still achieve a negative angle because uh, the prototype keyboard that I built last week actually does that without having being excessively big. So, so that's some of the updates that have been happening locally. Uh, I don't really have a great lot of skills in the CAD domain to do the bent metal case kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm still thinking about how I should go about it to try and make that happen. So I might have to try and reach out for that somewhere, somehow, someone. So if you are listening and, and you're very experienced in actually that kind of area and you don't mind helping out, then please get in touch because, you know, I probably have questions, probably have questions. Now, in regards to other projects, um, so the sticker kind of thing has stalled a little bit because, you know, as I said, I'm not very good with the whole art thing and looking internally, I think that we have somebody within Slack who's interested in getting a go, but we're still sitting at that trying to get some proper art done. And I very well may just end up biting the bullet and going out and getting commissions, but then it just means that's a cost factor, which of course takes a little bit more time to, to save up more money for that, to pay for commissions, than having that money held for actually being able to pay for the run outright. So that's just a little update there. You know, if you're in, if you're, if you're listening and you do want to get involved and you want to perhaps have a crack at drawing these and of course getting credit and even getting paid to, to do some of these stickers, then please get in touch as well. Cause uh, that, that would be more than appreciated. Right. So this week there has actually been a couple of interesting things and of course they've made it onto my usual topic list and as a continuation from last week the first topic that I want to talk about is a absolutely gorgeous looking ergonomic-ish gaming keypad. So this was created and done by Billiam II and their post on their own sort of blog and page um, is is super detailed. It's amazing the level of thought, consideration, effort, time that has gone into creating the sherbet. That's what they've called it. They've called it the sherbet. And uh, there there are some interesting things because what I would have loved to have seen, Billiam, by the way, is your actual hand sitting on this ergonomic-ish gaming pad. Now, the, the whole process has been extensively documented in their article where they've got the final product and it's amazing, looks absolutely delicious. And, you know, I can understand why they call it Sherbet. And they talk about the design philosophy and the steps in modeling it and things like that. And I understand it. I get it. The placement 
makes perfect sense almost <clears throat> so most ergonomic game pads will have uh, will have four rows sorry four columns because it's going to be ASD F but then they'll also have a fifth column which is your modifiers for your pinky now they've modeled it off one of the Logitech boards which has two columns of macro keys and I'm not sure if they've gone and done the double macro keys or if they've gone a single row macro keys and then there's modifiers for the pinky because it looks like it's actually double row macros and pinky doesn't do anything or if pinky does something then they're missing the final uh, extra column which is the the F column in a standard keyboard now there's also no thumb button cluster instead well they've gone with like a joystick type analog stick thing which you know, I'm sure if you push inwards is going to have a thumb function so it's quite a bit of a hybrid and it's really interesting but I love the fact that they've gone and done the modeling and then they've 3d printed it and they've tested the different angles and then with the wrist rest they've used putty and clay material sculpty is what they used to rough it out and shape it to the way that they want it to sit and feel and then they went and actually like took photos of it and meshed it and imported it and then smoothed it contoured it it was there's a lot of work that has gone into this thing of course they've 3d printed it cut it out you know put bits together and then of course when it was all fancy and done they smoothed it out painted it etc etc wired it up and created custom firmware as well so the thing why i want to see how it actually uh, sits in the hand is because for me the thumb position seems to be the thumb joystick the analog stick right seems to be super low and if i was to use it i just feel that it would actually contort my thumb in a really weird way Whereas, of course, if they've got really large hands and long fingers, then that would actually probably be okay because their fingers will be elongating out to use the actual switches, but then the thumb is going to be a little bit closer and more sits in. But that said, I'm going to say that I love this project and it looks amazing. The paintwork is great and the amount of thought and effort and customization is, is superb. And the thing is, of course, that you have to remember all the things that I'm talking about here, all my critiquing here, is that this is custom for Billiam. Not everybody necessarily will be able to get out of this design what Billiam is going to get out of his design because it was for him. Okay. So, and, and the other thing is, I know that this guy 100% is got to be somebody who does innovation and design because they have up in the top corner, fail fast. <laughs> and you know, we've talked about this before in uh, the things that I had discussed about innovation, that one of the philosophies out there for innovation that's often quite widely celebrated is fail fast. Fail fast, fail often, right? That is the phrasing, because that's exactly what you want to be doing. Design something, go through it, fail, keep going right? Redesign it, try it, test it, experiment, fail, go again. So I think that's really cool, being, having that there and seeing that. So Billiam, 
I don't know if you're ever likely to hear this or listen about this, but if you do, I want to say, love your work. All right, moving along. So, you know, I normally don't talk a lot about key sets because you know, key sets are key sets. There's, there's, you can talk about colors and you can talk about, you know, novelties and stuff like that. And sure, it's nice. And there's always the debate about uh, who owns the IP rights to colors and things like that. But there's generally not a huge amount to talk about key sets unless if it's specifically drama related. And so, of course, today we're talking about Susu Watari, which it's not really drama because I don't feel it's in the realm of drama, but there's certainly some issues that are coming across. So Susu Watari uh, is a set by Matteo, who is the person who was involved with uh, the White Fox, I believe, the initial design of the White Fox and all that kind of, you know, development further down the chain and has gone and done dev TDY and, and other things. But Susu Watari is a key set that's inspired by the dust demons from the Ghibli world. They're these little black things. And, you know, we've actually talked about the Susu Watari set a long time ago when it was uh, announced, gone into group by. So it is extremely well overdue and it's being run through Mastrop. And Matteo on his blog has written an article basically saying what is going on. So I want to say that this is really great that Matteo is putting it out there and being very honest and very truthful about the things that are happening because it's from his perspective of what he knows and is, as he said, no means an official update because he doesn't have control of this process anymore. So the story goes that... Uh, since February, you know, since last February, development had been going rather smoothly and you could see progress. Quality wasn't great. And Yambo from Drop, formerly Mass Drop, seemed confident until he wasn't. <clears throat> and it seems like things have come to a halt because they've changed manufacturers. For whatever reason, the company that they had decided to go with to make these keycaps couldn't produce the quality that they wanted. And that raises a couple of eyebrows because it's like, well, they've done other keycap sets before. They've done other custom jobs. So what's happened here? Has that company degraded in its ability to produce good quality keycap sets that were acceptable for other runs? Or have they actually changed companies? Because Mastrop has decided... I'm just going to call them Mass Drop, right? Like, even though they've chosen to rebrand to drop, Mass Drop. That's, that's just it. Um, so they've changed manufacturers throughout the process of trying to make Susu Watari happen. And so it it's caused delays, unknown amount of delays, because they just really don't know 100% how long it's going to be before this is going to happen. And they've gone to the effort because they want to make a better quality keycap. And I think that's really great that they want to do that. But at the same time, it's going to show that they don't have a solid supply chain happening yet. And you would think that Mastrop, having done so many of these group buys, would have a much better idea of what they should be doing, how they should be doing it, having trusted manufacturers, and hitting those marks their milestones for delivery dates 
Yeah, and Matteo actually makes a really interesting point here in that, well, this is not a Kickstarter, right? So we shouldn't be at this point with a company of this age in history who has money to splash around as well, by the way, since that they bought GeekHack, um, that we're getting to this point where they're through a process and going, you know what, no, we're going to change manufacturers of our product because these guys suck and we need to find somebody better. That's that's just straight up weird. Now, people are very protective of their manufacturers. And I kind of accidentally bumped into this fear because, you know, I was involved with some custom keyboard stuff and I was asking around who made these bits and pieces. And then somebody says, oh, you know, don't really trust these guys because they don't make really good case parts. And then I had another piece that was sent in from a different manufacturer and I mentioned it. You know, and then somebody was just like, oh, you know, yeah, try not to to spread that one too much simply because that one's a really good one. And people are quite protective because they know that if they use that manufacturer, they're going to get exactly what they want. Then they're going to get the quality, they're going to get the assurance, they're going to get the customer service. You know, all of those factors rolled in. And they're protective because they don't want other people necessarily clogging up those companies' build times, work times, or degrading their quality if they have potentially too much work. Yeah, there's all sorts of concerns here. Of course, the company themselves, they want to promote everything. And the only reason why I knew what that company was, was because they threw in a whole bunch of their business cards in there with the product. Um, so, yeah, Matteo does write extensively in this article to say, look, you know, the product is going ahead and the quality is going to be really good because they've seen now prototypes on sketches on how the legends are going to be shot because it's a double shot keycap so it's a little bit tricky but the issue right now is color matching getting the colors the way that they should be and you know as an extension of this mercury rocketeer recently came through and i'm sorry to say but mercury rocketeer and the colors that it's meant to pay homage to do not match you know and i don't know what happened there i don't really want to get into that too heavily because it wasn't really heavily discussed but it stinks a little bit of what happened to necro and you know it was joked around when that mercury rocketeer picture came out was well hey you know maybe it was um jessica taking photos <laughs> but you know i'm really happy to see that there is a level of detail and care here that mateo is undertaking and realistically a lot of other people try to do this as well and we know that for example Mito was very retentive about color matching and making sure that Godspeed came out the right way and so on and so forth so this is the right way to go but it just means significant delays for people who are spending their money is this the norm well it's starting to feel that way and Mastrop has always suffered this problem and it doesn't make sense why it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. But, you know, that's enough talking about that aspect. Um, now, I'm going to extend on and roll into another Mastrop-related product. But in this in this one, we're talking about Mastrop Holy Pandas. So Mastrop Holy Pandas have started to uh, come out now into people's hands. And there's these beautiful boxes of these switches and the rows with the plastic black holders and stuff like that. <clears throat> but... People are talking about them being factory lubricated, which you would think is actually a good thing, but 
it doesn't seem to be. So the factory who is manufacturing these parts obviously are not understanding of what these parts they're manufacturing are. Because you're getting reports of switches that are barely lubricated and then switches that are over lubricated and they're just completely gummed up and filled with lube. And the lube that's being applied is inconsistent in the amount as well as where that they've been lubed internally inside the switch. So it's either you know an automated process, which I would hope so, if it's not an automated process and there's uh, you know workers being paid peanuts in a factory in China somewhere that is manually lubing these, it's probably understandable because the factory workers just don't care. They're just being told, shove some lube into this switch, maybe press it a couple of times, that's it, on to the next one. But that would be insane noting how many switches no doubt have been produced and sold as part of this run. Maybe they're doing quick lube, I don't know. But if it's a factory process, then their lubing line, their lubing equipment or whatever that they've done is pretty shoddy, pretty shoddy. So what does that mean? What does that mean for people who have these switches who maybe if you've got some coming, you still haven't received them yet, you're going to have to crack them open, clean them, and then re-lube them, which of course is not ideal. But at the same time, people are happy to do so because they can put in their custom lube of choice. So the only thing that I really want to extend further on that, and I guess it's not really Mastrop's fault <clears throat> in that context, but at the same time it is in that they haven't said to their manufacturer, you know, this is exactly what I want. Their needs and requirements haven't been fully taken across all the way through. Of course, Mastrop might, might have just said to their Holy Panda factory, uh, I just want lube. And they didn't say where, how much, you know, they didn't say what kind of tolerances and so on and so forth. So that's that's some really interesting things there because as as a product creator or designer who wants to see it through to the end, I feel like if they had a different person managing these from a project perspective, who had a tighter finger on the pulse of the products and samples and things like that and checking up and QC and approving these coming out of the factory, then you'd end up with a very different product. Of course, your price might change as well, but what would you rather? You know, your customers be happy for something that's straight out of the shop that has no issues, or you have these kind of issues that people end up being grumpy about. But that's the thing. It's just, is it is it going to affect Mastrop? Is it going to stop people from buying from Mastrop? Is it going to stop people from getting Holy Pandas? Probably not. So they can save some money, not care? Well, that's up for you to uh, to think about and decide on how you feel about that. Huh. But, uh, you know, if I bought 300 switches and then I had to go and relude them, I'd have to clean them, you know, using isopropyl or physically wipe them off or all sorts of things like that. Man, that would probably annoy me. But hey, it's part of the hobby. <laughs> it's a reality. And uh, we just have to live with it, I guess. <clears throat> Okay, so um, we're now through the, well, not quite halfway mark, but uh, close to the halfway mark of the episode. And of course, traditionally, that's where we talk about competitions. So I want to talk about our competition for the month of July, where what I would like people to do is uh, give me ideas, you know, give me their thoughts and entries and whatnot in regards to a keyboard disease. 
and of course, you know, in some way, if you can make it into a cute adaptation. And the context for that is that, um, you know, I was talking, you'll have to excuse me for a moment while my daughter bangs on the door. Good morning. <clears throat> Daddy's recording, okay. Now, so what I was talking about last week was that, uh, you know, you can get these cute plushies of major diseases out there, you know, viruses and bacteria and stuff like that. And I wanted to uh, have that extension into keyboard-related diseases. So far, I think it must be a very challenging competition because I've only got one entry. And uh, thank you very much for that entry. Uh, it's an amazing entry. I actually, I was sitting there here um, reading that entry with my wife and we were looking at it and we were like, that was actually really clever. Uh, lots of fun. So when when the end of the month comes around, and of course we draw a winner and so on and so forth, um, if people are actually sending in their pictures and whatnot, then I'll compile an album and I'll share them because, yeah, that, that was actually really great. So send through your entry for keyboard diseases and cute adaptations of keyboard diseases to theboardpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you'll be able to go into the running to win a kit from Kibio, something from DIY Keyboards, which uh, incidentally, I haven't had a look at what it is. Let me find the list. So for the month of July, it's going to be a set of the Switch Cracker 2 from DIY Keyboards. It allows you to open your switches very quickly, very effortlessly. I've got one. Uh, and it comes with inserts for MX and box switches. So that's pretty cool. Hey, what's going on there? Hey, hmm? <laughs> um, now, so last week, moving on to, of course, more topics. Uh, last week, I talked about a artisan box that somebody had designed and 3D printed, and they wanted to sort of run like a little group buyer for 20 bucks each so that it would help fund them getting a better, bigger 3D printer. And I thought, you know, that was really cool. And this week we have another artisan box that's going into interest check. And this one is called the Icebox. So it's really nice that we're starting to get to this point where people are getting their collections up to a certain size and people want to take them to meetups and you know, they want to be able to show them off and we're moving into the accessories field more and more and more. Yes, what do you see? A keyboard. Oh, you see a keyboard. Well, that's that's very nice that you see a keyboard. What else is there? A Totoro. You see a Totoro? Oh, I don't know if it actually is a Totoro. So she's looking at the picture of this icebox, and I think what's really cool and what's very interesting and different about this is that it's actually designed in mind for top-ray artisan keycaps, because it actually has a hole in the middle that is uh, sunk in to allow that longer stem for the top-ray keycaps. So it's really great that they're putting into that thought and design, and it's meant to be uh, milled polycarbonate, which I think is, it looks nice, but goodness knows how much that's actually going to cost. But I suppose the thing that I'm not a huge fan of is 
that the mechanism for holding the lid and foam whatnot is a like an elastic strap. For me, you know, it's it's a simple solution, it's an effective solution, it's a cheap solution, but I don't feel like it fits with something of this nature and kind. If you look at the picture and the prototype that they've got, uh, like, you know, they don't have a picture with the actual case top on and the strap on, but I just wish it had a bit more elegance to how you retain that top. Because, you know, you don't want to have to have an additional piece that you could potentially lose or get damaged, um, which, you know, just, yeah. Something that's a little bit more integrated, I think the uh, magnet solution is a quite popular solution. I think that would fit in and feel perfectly fine in this as well. So either way, though, I think it's still really great. It's a 70 slot box fits heaps of artisans and you know 70 artisans is a lot of artisans but just to extend that thought okay for having top rake keycaps on this why not go a little bit further and support buckling spring keycaps too because we know that there are buckling spring artisans out there so that's that's something to think about uh if you want to if you want to be diverse and inclusive then we should really have artisan holders that will hold every type of artisan out there, including the longer ones and not just the one new artisans. You know, we've got already people who are doing the modifier artisans too. So just a little bit of food for thought. Now, this next topic is a little bit more of a, a discussion point. Uh, and, and it's not drama or anything like that. And... You know, I think it's I think it's a really interesting one because we don't necessarily have these opportunities. And the opportunity that I'm talking about is that Sivir has posted and said, you know, they have an opportunity to run a three-ish hour workshop on building your own keyboard. What do? So they've had an opportunity to do something at a particular arts and uh, arts collective working collaborative space in Toronto and they want to think about how they're going to approach it and it, things that are normally run there are about three hours and they've come up with well maybe doing something like a choco pad it's relatively cheap it's about $30 USD per person and there's you know build guides already available out there and they want to know is that too ambitious and they want to talk about you know keyboard philosophies and a bit of history talking about group buys and buying keyboard bits and then of course putting it together so yeah i think that's i think that's really cool i think that's really uh interesting that they've had an opportunity to do that and i was thinking back to my own experiences in teaching other people the same kind of fundamentals so last year at work, uh, and some of you may have seen this in one of the videos, you know, there was the, the missile pod, which was a 20 key, 20 key, 21 key, uh, let me think, it's a 21 key, 21 key macro pad that a co-worker of mine had actually put together, and once all the parts had actually come in, we went to the innovation center that we have at work, and I went through you know, how to actually compile it together and actually sold all the bits, solder all the bits through uh, the P3 
PCB for the diodes and the controller and then how to put the switches through the plates and so on and so forth. It only took about an hour to do that. So the Choco pads are very similar size in that sense. Uh, and you could probably even do something like a Sweet 16 as well uh, from one-up keyboards. Very small, simple macro pads, functional, useful, you know, pro micro driven and so on and so forth. So about an hour is actually what I would reasonably expect because there's actually not that much that you need to solder. 16 switches, 20 switches, you know, that's what, 80 pins, and then uh, another, uh, what's that, another 40 diode connections, and then 24 uh, pro micro connections times two, because you've got to do the headers. So, it, you know, it's, it's quite doable, but for those people who might be a little bit slower and more apprehensive in soldering, then of course that's going to take a little bit more time, a little bit more coaching, a little bit more guidance. So what do you do with the next, well, the other hour, hour and a half? Now, if you can talk like me and, and you've just got, you know, the silver tongue and you can talk nonstop for hours about anything in a single topic, sure. And if you're not a great public speaker and you've never really led workshops and the alike, it could be challenging. So you're going to have to plan that out quite well. But at the same time, I feel like if it's something that is well supported, okay, and when I say well supported, I mean through things like Configurator, QMK Configurator, or the VR Configurator, and <clears throat> you have available to you computers, maybe even tell people who are coming to the workshop if they've got laptops or netbooks and things like that, then you could even do flashing. Or if you've got a projector and you've got your own device that you can plug in, you know, you can say, all right, we're going to talk about an hour on keyboard design philosophy, keyboard history, group buys, purchasing parts, examples, so on and so forth. You're going to spend about an hour, hour and a half putting together this thing, soldering it, very simple. And then you're going to get about an hour to actually go through key maps and show them how to compile and flash and so on and so forth. And then that will leave you a little bit of buffer time for people to play around and check out other people's keypads and their solder jobs and the key maps and things like that. So that is how I would personally approach that. But, you know, everybody's different. So, you know, if you have thoughts of that, please do, of course, send them through. Uh, we'd love to read how you would approach a three-hour workshop and what you would talk about and how, um, yeah, you, you might actually run something like that. Now they talk about, you know, how would they make that into a cheaper uh, build and whatnot. And somebody said, well, you know, you can always contact some of the suppliers, vendors for donations. Well, you know, donations are donations. And if people are coming to an actual workshop, they're going to expect to have to pay for materials, right? So I don't think you really need to necessarily um, go to an extent of asking for donations. I mean, sure, ask for donations, um, but donation fatigue is real, by the way, and the big vendors are always going to get hit up and asked about, you know, donating stuff for meetups and competitions and charities and events and things like that. So just be wary of that context. Uh, but at the same time, if this is a workshop that you might be potentially doing a lot of, then you know, why not go and get a whole bunch of things in bulk to make that cost come down? Especially if you pick a PCB that 
is potentially open source because you can run the Gerbers yourself through a, a PC fab and in larger volumes and it'll be much, much cheaper. So what I mean by that is, for example, the Snagpad macro pad. And of course, if you're listening, Siva, and if you want to run the Snagpad, then I'm more than happy for you to be able to run the Snagpad for your workshop. Um, <clears throat> is we, we were able to get the whole kit price down without switches, mind you, okay, to essentially $17 Australian um, without switches, including a Pro Micro, without switches, without keycaps, okay, so, but we had to do a large run, we made about 250 of these PCBs, and, you know, bought parts in bulk from Taobao, and so on and so forth, so it does take a little bit of pre-planning to actually get to that stage, but if it's something that you think you can be potentially doing at this, uh, you know, collective space, and people are interested long term, you know, sure, it might be expensive now, 30 bucks per person for the, the first run. Uh, if you think it was a hit, if you think there's more people interested, then plan for the future, put more kits together, get them in high volume, make it cheaper, make it more affordable, and that'll generate you more interest for the next time that you run these. And of course, you know, what that means is for anybody else who might have hacker spaces who have open days and workshops and opportunities like that well that's also something else that you can think about too to just help spread the love and the and the hobby and the keyboards right <laughs> yeah what are you doing hey hmm? are you practicing typing no oh okay all right so the last topic, and I do realize that this week it's a little bit of a, a shorter episode, uh, if this is my last topic, but that's okay, you know, sometimes I don't want to necessarily talk up, take up, talk up your time, take up your time <laughs> with, uh, with fluff if I don't have to. Uh, and this one is, that's an interesting one because uh, it's a, it's not a group buy, but it's a pre-order for a keyboard kit, and it's the Tex shinobi but it's a diy kit now if you're not familiar with the tex shinobi uh, tex as a brand have done other keyboards like the yoda uh, and whatnot before and they seem to have this this feel this bend this orientation towards keyboards that replicate the old uh, ibm thinkpad keyboards right and the shinobi is really no different but it is, you know, a separate keyboard suitable as a mechanical keyboard for laptops. What's really interesting about the Shinobi, you know, is that it is a fully fledged keyboard. We're not talking about like a 60% type of thing. We're talking about it is a compact layout that's seven rows deep. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Well, it's actually, it's seven, it's eight rows if you want to think about it technically. It's seven rows plus like, the mouse button rows. It doesn't have a trackpad as part of it necessarily, but it does have the um, track point, you know, that little red knob that um, you can move around. So <clears throat> it's really great if you want to be a road warrior, but it's quite large as a 
footprint. And we've we've talked about it a little bit, but it integrates a wrist rest into this design. It's quite neat, but the thing that I didn't realize about it is it's actually got smaller size keycaps. They're compacted. They're 87% size keycaps, which makes it really challenging because you don't get a choice. You're stuck with the actual keycaps that they provide to you, unless if you want to shave down keycaps. So the keycaps are MX compatible, but they've they've modified them. They've specifically made them to suit this particular layout. And so that's really, really interesting. <clears throat> um, what we're talking about, the keycaps, is the Tex ADA Mini ADA profile set. Um, and of course, when you've got a track point, your keycaps for the letters G, H, and B also are slightly different because they've got sections that are pre cut out and milled to allow the track point to sit there and operate. So if, so it's a really cool design, but what makes this interesting is the fact that they're offering it as a DIY kit. And I think that's really cool because not only now have we got to the point where a company like Tex, you know, they've done other things like aluminium cases for 60% and stuff, right? Um, <clears throat> are recognizing how hobby that we are that people don't want to be limited to default switches so this DIY kit comes with cherry switches if you want you know black blue brown red silent reds clears silvers and greens but you can make it cheaper you can drop 50 bucks by setting it to non-switch so any MX compatible pin switch types should in theory fit this but of course you know it all comes back to the keycaps. So if you can't live with the keycaps that they have on offer, then don't get involved unless if you want to make your own keycaps and cut down keycaps. For a hundred bucks, for what it is, because it comes with keycaps and it comes with a case and it comes with a trackpad and all that kinds of stuff. And you can actually add a Bluetooth kit to it if you want to, right? I think it's fantastic. It makes it super affordable. Uh, now, this is pre-order price. I don't know what the regular price is going to be. Uh, and they even specifically state in the kit, all switches need to be soldered, except for the three mouse button, which is already soldered, um, using the Cherry MX1A low-profile switches. So, uh, if this is your jam, then I reckon get on it. I would actually get one for work, because I do have a laptop, but... If I'm traveling around within work, you know, I don't absolutely need it. And I already have my uh, Leopold FC660C and I've got a minivan both at work that I have available for me to carry around and they have a much smaller footprint compared to this. But I certainly wouldn't travel with one of these with my laptop because my carry-on luggage now in Australia is limited to 7 kilos. They weigh it quite extensively now. And my laptop already weighs like three and a bit kilos plus the charger and my mouse. So adding one of these is probably going to push me way over that since I've got, you know, my notepad and other bits and pieces that go into my carry-on as well. But if you are interested, <clears throat> gee, it sounds like I'm getting a bit throaty and losing my voice again. Uh, then head over to Tex and check it out because the Shinobi DIY type kit could be yours for a hundred bucks US plus shipping if you supply your own switches. Hmm. So that, that wraps up uh, the majority of the things that I really want to talk about this week. You know, it's been really great to uh, have a week of not getting sick 
and to be able to do some keyboard stuff. Now, if you've been watching the YouTube channel, I've been playing around a little bit. Ah, don't touch the microphone like that, please. Okay, that's not going to sound nice for people. All right. Uh, mm -hmm. I know you. Sh I know you really want to share your stickers, but they can't see your stickers. Okay. Um. So. <clears throat> Yeah, so it's been really good to, to be able to get and do some keyboard stuff. And in regards to uh, the YouTube channel, you know, I've done some of that laser engraving stuff, which has been really great. So hopefully tomorrow you'll be able to check out the next video in that series to um, see some laser die subbing of keycaps, which is really cool, which is really exciting. Uh, I've actually got some more stuff that's coming courtesy of Banggood that I'm going to get to review and check out. So that should be really cool. And of course, like I mentioned much earlier at the start of the episode that uh, I'm getting some custom keyboards that are coming my way to build for some people. So that'll be really cool as well. Plenty of interesting things coming up ahead. Now, don't forget, of course, to get involved in our competitions because, well, if you're not in it to win it, hey, it's uh, prizes going to other people. And of course, if you would like to come and hang out with us in our Slack group, uh, Slack is like a chat program, a little bit slower paced compared to say Discord, but you know, we've got a bunch of friendly people that hang out and chat and talk about everything, uh, anywhere from fountain pens to keyboard design to Dungeons and Dragons to food and everything else in between, uh, please, yes, dragons, uh, then yeah, you can shoot me an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com and I'll get an invitation to our Slack out to you. So, of course, thank you very much for coming along and checking out this episode and, of course, supporting us here at The Board Podcast. I really appreciate your time. Bless <coughs> you. To uh, <laughs> listen in and, of course, get involved with our keyboard community. So, of course, as usual, until next time, happy clacking. <laughs>